Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, June the 6th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be taking a look at a lesson. And once more, we have a special Sunday. We've had a whole bunch of special Sundays since Lent. Of course, we had also Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, then the Ascension of Jesus, Pentecost last week, and this week we're going to be dealing with the Holy Trinity. Now, Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover Sabbath. It was the day that God's people were publicly formed through the Holy Spirit. They were called Christians. They began using the word church and stood firm with the faith of the Old Testament people who trusted in the coming Savior. And so we're going to be taking a look at a lesson that is also involved with Pentecost because it's Peter's sermon that he gave to the people on the day of Pentecost. It begins with verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. So, the actual lesson then skips to verse 22 through verse 36. So we want to examine these words that Peter is speaking to the men of Israel. And notice what he says in verse 22. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Now, why does he mention the mighty works and wonders and signs? Well, if you recall, Jesus' life was based on the Old Testament. And that meant that he quoted the Old Testament and he looked to it to see what would be happening in his life. When he did miracles, probably one of the best verses to remember is when the disciples of John the baptizer came to him and was wondering, well, are you the one we're waiting for? Or is there someone else? 
Now, John the baptizer told them to ask Jesus that question. That doesn't mean that John the baptizer did not know who Jesus was, because he had proclaimed that this is the Savior of the world who has come to take away the sins of the world. But he wanted his disciples to have a better understanding of Jesus. Now, what did Jesus point to from the Old Testament in answering the question of the disciples of John the baptizer? Go back and tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk, and the dead are raised. Now, we could go through each of those passages where those events actually took place. And raising of the dead would refer to, of course, Lazarus as one example. That he had been dead for an amount of days that would have meant that he definitely was dead. And that's why Jesus had not rushed to him, but waited for those days to be completed so that people realized Lazarus was dead. But when he called him out of the tomb, Lazarus was brought forth alive. So it's important to understand that the miracles that Jesus did, they really saved no one, but they became the evidence that he truly was the promised Messiah. Remember, people were looking for him. A good example would be the man born blind in John chapter 9. And when he could see, after Jesus healed him, he talked with Jesus and wondered, who is the Messiah? And Jesus said, I am the one who is talking with you right now. And the blind man believed that Jesus was truly the Messiah, not only because of his own words, but because he also had been healed. In other words, the task of Jesus was not just conversion from unbelief to faith. There were many people in Israel who looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. They just did not realize that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises. But on the basis of the miracles, which the Old Testament said would occur, 
when the Messiah came. And on the basis of his preaching, namely repentance and the forgiveness of sins, law and gospel, they came to understand that Jesus was indeed the Christ. And that's why Peter therefore mentions the mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Continuing with verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan. Now, how do you think that should end, that sentence? You would think that he would be delivered up according to the definite plan of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and other Jewish religious leaders that hated him. It was their plan to put him on the cross. But that's not how the sentence ends at all. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This is really critical to understand in Christianity, that Jesus' crucifixion was an action of God himself. And in his foreknowledge, he knew how people would respond to the message of the gospel. They would hate Jesus because the message of the gospel also included the message of law, which says you are simply not good enough to get into heaven. And yet Pharisees were thanking God that they were not like publicans, tax collectors, working for the Romans, that they were far better than them, not realizing that they were equally as sinful as every other person in the world. So, according to the definite plan of God, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. So this was not something that God forced on the Jewish religious leaders. It was just going to happen because of the hatred that an unbeliever has toward the message of law and gospel. They don't like hearing the law where they're told that they fall short of the glory of God. And they certainly don't like hearing the gospel where it is required to receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins in order to be saved. They simply did not think they were that sinful. 
And it's not only that the plan of God included the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, what does that mean? There's no doubt it was possible for him to be held by it for three days, but not for an eternity. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then what does that mean? It means that he's still buried in the grave, paying for your sins, and therefore you are not yet forgiven. That's why the resurrection is so important. Because in that resurrection, Jesus brings to you the gift of the forgiveness of sins. Then Peter moves from the Old Testament to talking about King David. For David says concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, how can we talk about that David really knew the paths of life with his sins with Bathsheba? Because the path of life is not one of good works. It's instead one of repentance for sin and also in doing fruit of the Holy Spirit through faith. Now that happened with David. After Nathan the prophet came to him and told him the parable about a man who had a pet lamb, but the owner of the farmer took it from him, put it to death to feed a visitor, David was not happy. Bring that man to me, he said, and I will put him to death. And then Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Because that's what he had done with Bathsheba's husband. He had put him to death in order to have Bathsheba. What was David's reaction to that? 
he became very remorse and said, I have sinned against the Lord. And what did Nathan then say? You will not be damned to hell. You will be saved. But in order that people will realize that you cannot fool around with God, your son with Bathsheba will die. Now, that was an interesting experience that the servants of David saw because Bathsheba's son was ill and near death. And David was praying that the son would live. But then God took the son away from him. And what was David's reaction? To the surprise of his servants, he dressed himself in proper clothes and said, my son will not return to me, but I will be going to him. That's a beautiful example in the Bible of the belief in the resurrection of the dead after Judgment Day. And that's the comfort we can give to parents who lose children due to disease or accident, etc. We can remind them, yes, their child will not be returning to them here on earth, but they will be going to see him or her in heaven. This is what Peter is preaching to these people. He continues in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. <clears throat> Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Remember, after the resurrection of Jesus, he remained on earth for 40 days before his ascension. And at one time, 500 people saw him. So he was therefore visible and apparent to many people who came to believe that he was indeed the Christ. 
the Son of God. And that believing in him, they would have eternal salvation. So this was a wonderful message that Peter is delivering to the folks in Acts. He's telling them that even David witnessed that from, and this is interesting, that one of his descendants would be on the throne. Now, how is that understood? Because if Jesus is God, therefore there never was a time that he did not exist. And so he existed before David. If he existed before David, how can the scriptures talk about that Jesus is a descendant of David? Here once more, we need to take a look at another great Sunday when we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. What's that? Jesus was definitely existing and around in the Old Testament. He was the angel of the Lord that Moses met on Mount Sinai. And he said, my name is Yahweh. That's important to know on Trinity Sunday. One wonders, why are we talking about Jesus so much on Trinity Sunday? Because what is being said by Peter includes the work not only of Jesus, not only of the Father, but also of the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, he's a descendant because he was born from the house of David. And that's true. Mary and Joseph both were connected to the house of David. And that's how we can understand that though he is eternal, when we take a look at his incarnation, it's an incarnation where he is a descendant of David. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. Remember, that's the ascension. God doesn't have a hand. He's a spirit, God the Father. But at the right hand of God means that Jesus also is in command. When the President of the United States sends an ambassador to another land, that ambassador becomes the right hand 
of the President of the United States. In speaking to the other nations, and also in putting forth various treaties, etc. So, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. See, therefore, you have all three persons of the Trinity just in verse 33. He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And that's what occurred when Jesus ascended into heaven. He sat at the right hand of God and became glorious over the whole earth. So Peter kind of concludes this portion of his sermon. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Lord is the name of God from Exodus. Christ is simply the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. That's why this is a great Trinity Sunday, wonderful event. And on tomorrow's Long Gospel, with the help of Mark Smith, we'll take a look at a hymn, Come Holy Ghost, Creator Blessed, and continue our discussion of the Trinity. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.